2: Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. (laughs) You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Aja Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work.
3: what Sway do. Teammates
2: played great and we um came out with the victory, you know? I'm just trying to really get my, my NBA 2K rating up. I I just cannot take I I can't take
0: it. You know it's 12.02 right now. If they wanna fire me at 1205, I'll go home and find something to do all the day.
3: Welcome to the Road to wire NBA podcast. It is Friday, April 10th. Nick Whalen here, joined on this afternoon by James Anderson. James, uh, you've been kind enough to lend your expertise to the NBA department with, with baseball on hold, and obviously the NBA is as well. We've done a couple rewatch podcasts over the last couple of weeks. We'll have another one of those coming early next week. But we want to talk about the 2020 NBA draft today. And normally we would be about a little over a month, month and a half away from the NBA draft combine in Chicago. We'd be gearing up for that. And given the current state of the NBA, it's looking significantly more likely that the NBA draft won't happen until early August at the absolute earliest and probably more likely late August or perhaps even later than that.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's really tough to say anything with, any kind of clarity at this point. Um, I mean, if there, there's probably a scenario where they aren't able to resume play. In which case, the draft could maybe happen earlier than that. Uh, but, I refuse to acknowledge that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's let's no, not there is not such terrible things. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think. The, the nice thing is there's there's basically nothing any of these prospects could do that would change their draft profile, so it's we can definitely start talking about them.
3: Yeah, I mean, barring a Laramie Tunsil type of situation, there's, there's not much on court um, that, that these guys can do. And there was an article that ran on ESPN this morning uh, from Adrian Wojnarowski and Jonathan Gavoni that essentially detailed that most NBA teams are – are hoping to officially push the date of the draft from what's currently scheduled as June 25th to no sooner than August 1st, which seems overwhelmingly likely to happen. Uh, like you said, unless the NBA moves fairly quickly to just cancel the season, at which point they could basically do what the NFL is doing and kind of keep the rest of the offseason schedule as is and try to salvage everything to make next season as normal as possible. Um, but it sounds like teams are prepared to, to not only push the draft, but I think kind of use that time to their advantage, because I think a lot of these teams feel underprepared. We've, we've seen that on the NFL side as well. Um, you know, these teams right now are not able to conduct in-person workouts. Of course, they're not able to do interviews. They're, they're limited right now to four hours per prospect per interview, um, in a Skype type of setting. So you're allowed to talk to players, but you're not allowed to bring them in for workouts. You're not allowed to do the usual, you know, if you want to bring three guys in and, and have them play against each other or scrimmage with guys on your roster, you're not allowed to do that. And when, when you look at this draft, like how, how much of a fluky kind of draft it was shaping up to be even before all the coronavirus stuff, I think, you know, no, no matter how this ends up turning out, I think the, the way that that the league is is being forced to operate right now could make this draft even more of a crapshoot than it was already going to be.
1: Yeah. I think this is going to be the biggest crapshoot draft, uh, certainly since the Anthony Bennett one. And it's it might be even just more funky than that one, because like, I think in that one, you know, it was kind of clear that like Victor Oladipo was like the safe option up top. Uh, but in this one, I feel like you could make a case for like, I don't know, seven or eight guys for the top spot. And there's just not really any sort of hierarchy in terms of who should go top three, who should go top five. Uh, there's, you know, public draft boards and those uh, are useful to, to a degree. But I think there's just not a ton of ton separating these guys. So I think each team's individual draft board could end up looking very different.
3: Yeah, I think 2013 is definitely the most relevant comparison right now. Although thinking back to that draft, I don't remember thinking there were that many guys who could actually go number one. It, Bennett was a surprise in that spot. I think Oladipo conceivably could have gone one. Nerlens Noel was was considered the guy who would go number one for a long time. Ben Mclemore was in that conversation, but outside of that, like I don't remember hearing anyone say Otto Porter should go number one or Cody Zeller or Alex Len or KCP, all guys who went in the top eight in that draft. I I feel like there are there are more reasons to get excited about some of the prospects in this class. There's a lot of young international talent. You have the guy who was a number one player in high school last year, James Wiseman, who we haven't seen play since, what, November of 2019, uh, who's kind of seemingly slipping down some of these boards. If you've been checking in, you know, month to month, like a lot of people have, he, I think he kind of came in as the consensus number one guy and, and sitting out most of the college season, even though he looked really good in the few games that we did see him at Memphis, I, I don't think that really helped his case. And, you know, the fact that he compares somewhat similarly to a guy like Clint Capella and, you know, we're, we're seeing like a team literally just punt on Clint Capella, a good team, uh, just kind of get rid of him midseason. It, it, I guess we can kind of start with James Wiseman and go wherever you want. But to me, he seems like a guy who five, ten 10 years ago would have been almost a cinch to go number one. And now teams are a little bit more skeptical of taking a big man that high if he's not truly a, a complete guy on both sides of the floor.
1: Yeah, I think it's. It's really fast. He's just such a tough guy to evaluate because there's very, very little tape of him. Uh, there's definitely like zero tape of him against quality competition, really. Um, so it's it's tough. I, I one thing I think that I, I don't usually factor in with uh, where guys should get drafted, but I think is is worth factoring in just given how low uh, the talent is sort of near the top of this draft is that these guys come in on these rookie-scale contracts, and I think it, it's very possible that multiple guys that go in the top 10 could end up being uh, bad contracts on their rookie deals. And so, like, if you draft James <laughs> Wiseman and you end up having to pay him um, much more than your typical just kind of hired gun center is getting paid on the free agent market, like, that doesn't really make much sense to me. I think if you're going to use a high pick on him, you have to really believe in him having the ceiling to be, like, a top-ten center, uh, hopefully sooner than later. Otherwise, you're just sort of overpaying a guy at a position where a lot of the smart teams are really kind of punting on
3: him. Yeah, and I think it's... James Wiseman isn't Julio Okafor. You know, he's, he's more versatile than that. He's not a guy who we say would go number one in, like, 1995. He's definitely more skilled and... Uh, certainly more athletic and kind of more adept to the current NBA game, but
1: I don't know about more skilled. I think he's more adept to the NBA game, but you know, it like Julio Okafor was really, he's oh, more, he's more skilled, he's more
3: skilled like, at, at what matters. I mean, he's not, right, he's right. less skilled at, at what would, what would give you 20 and 10 in 1993.
1: He, he, I think Clint Capella, uh, there's, there's definitely some Clint Capella uh, with just defense and rim running, but he, he likes to shoot a little bit too and I think getting him in for a private workout just kind of getting a sense of how much can he stretch and like where do you think the jump shot is in like a year or two years down the road uh, can he anchor a defense can he be the guy that is your your rim protector can he be good in that role is he gonna be a good help defender can he move on the perimeter at all like i i think there's just a lot of questions and i'm i'm kind of of the mind and i you know i obviously didn't uh have any interest in taking deandre Ayton where he went or martin bagley where he went uh i kind of i'm of I'm the mind that if you're going to take a center high especially top five uh but even like top 10 you really got to think of that guy as as a future top seven or eight guy at the position. I just think it's a it's a bad use of resources to take a center if his upside is only like top fifteen center or top twenty center. I just I would much rather roll the dice on a primary ball handler or a wing up up near the top of the draft.
3: Yeah, we have seen a lot of teams kind of struggle to to build around if you don't have the perfect big guy, it's really tough to build that team around someone like a Carl Anthony Towns, you know, and he's extremely talented on offense. But unless you can play both ways, like if you have a major flaw on either end of the court, and that and that guy is kind of your number one option, you have to kind of surround him with the perfect roster to make everything work. And you can, you can do it, you know. I mean, someone like Nikola Jokic is a really unique player on offense, not the greatest defender, and the Nuggets have found a way to get work with the cast around him. But I think it creates some some challenges that um, if you're building around a young wing or a young young backcourt player. You just I think it's just easier to find like you said that that kind of mark value center that you can just pick off the scrap heap. Like you you can find a replacement level player uh pretty easily and have some pretty good success with just a rotation of like average to above average big men. Um and it's it's just a bigger challenge to to try to build an entire team around that archetype. I know LaMelo Ball has grown significantly on you.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's uh part of it is just that I dislike everyone else so much. Uh, I, I think he has the fewest weaknesses. I think he has the highest floor. I think that if he had shot, like if he just shot 32% from three in the NBL, he, he only played 12 games, but if he just shot like in the thirties from three, I think he would just be a uh, uh, lock to go number one, but he shot 25%. I Obviously, I have not seen much of that tape, but I've heard a lot of those threes were tough looks. You know, I mean, he was the the primary guy. Some of those were, were shot clock heaves and stuff. Uh, but really, other than his shot, I don't see any reasons to be concerned about LaMelo Ball because he has the, the vision. He has, like, the basketball IQ stuff. He has the size. He has the athleticism. Like, at six seven you know, I think he's going to be able to guard multiple positions. He he's a clear pick and roll ball handler. Like he's of that caliber where he can spearhead an offense. It's just a question of how well is he going to shoot? And, you know, that's, I think the thing I care most about in the draft is how well a guy's going to shoot. And so typically I would not be in favor of taking him number one when there's that uncertainty there. But when you compare him to the rest of the guys that are in this range, I think that like, worst-case scenario, I think you're you're probably getting someone like Ricky Rubio. Uh, in a best-case scenario, you could be getting uh, a really, really dynamic uh, point guard with the size to to play other positions as well. So I, it's not that I'm in love with LaMelo Ball, but I love his game more than I like uh, the games of, of some of the other guys that have been rumored to, to be in the mix for number one.
3: In, in a normal draft, where would you where do you think you'd be comfortable slotting him in? Is he more of like a four to eight range in a usual class?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's perfect, actually. Uh, last year, you could maybe make a case for him as high as three, but mm-hmm. last year was, was pretty weak after the top two guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do actually think I like him more as a prospect than I liked R.J. Barrett as a prospect, just because I think he has the distributor uh, g mm-hmm. and rj barrett is more kind of a, a score first guy uh but yeah i mean like in the the Doncic trey young draft i would have had him definitely after jaron jackson uh maybe after wendell carter yeah so i think four to eight in mm-hmm. kind of a, a solid draft is is the right range for sure him.
3: yeah but i i think part of his whole profile too is he is LeVar Ball's son and that's kind of worn off. You know, we haven't really heard from LeVar Ball publicly in like a full year, which which is fantastic. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of easy to forget like how much of a figure he was for a while and how much for a while it looked like he, you know, was maybe going to end up tanking LaMelo's Stock who at the time was like a junior in high school and was, you know, back and forth from Lithuania and it, it just looked like he was just on this path where he you know might be like a Jeremy Tyler situation where you you hear about this kid all through high school and then he just never really makes it. And the fact that that's been straightened out, I think helps him. But again, the fact that this draft doesn't have any semblance of a sure thing, I think really, really helps a guy like Lamelo, who has very clear flaws and is inherently a risky player, just just based on, you know, if, if you just watch a 10 minute highlight video um, or even like a strengths and weaknesses video I watched a couple of weeks ago, like some of his bad plays are horrifically bad. You know, I mean, it's, you know, just careless, um, careless turnovers, you know, flashiness, um ill advised pull up threes in traffic stuff like that but the fact that they're i think you could take him like two or three and you wouldn't look back and say man i feel really bad that we're passing on this guy you know whereas like you compared it to the draft from 2018 like to me like you know Luka Doncic was basically a sure thing Deandre Ayton not a sure thing to become a star but seemed like he was going to be really good like taking Lamella Ball over somebody like Ayton or or Jaren Jackson uh, or even Wendell Carter is a good example, a guy who was a really safe type of prospect. You know, there's there's such a a low floor with Ball. Um, at least in my mind, I know you think it's a little bit higher. That that I think he would usually carry a lot more risk than he does given the class around him.
1: Yeah, it's it's really there's no spot in this draft that I would want to be really like if if I have the yeah. number one pick. I'd be looking to trade down. If I have the number two pick, I'd be looking to trade down. If I like, I would just keep trying yeah. to trade down and out of this draft because there's not a single guy where you're even like the role players, even the guys who are just supposed to be kind of nice complimentary pieces. Like, I don't think those guys have the highest of floors. So, uh, I mean, you really have to do your homework. It, it's really going to be a, a scouting and evaluation draft. Like, Mm-hmm. there's no easy picks in this draft there's no obvious choice at the top there's uh, yeah you just you really have to be kind of you make the, the best of a lot of unsatisfactory choices and uh, you know to me it's to me it's bald and I mean we, we should probably just talk about Anthony Edwards uh, I think he's the most common name you'll see near the top of a draft board and he looks the part uh, I mean, him and James Wiseman are the guys who look like they belong as top five picks. Uh, but I think other than his um, physical measurements and his athleticism, I really struggle to find what a strength of Anthony Edwards is right now. It's not like, it's not like he just has one thing he needs to fix. Like he needs to you know, try harder on defense or, or become a better shooter. He has to get better at pretty much everything to do with playing basketball.
3: This year kind of felt like a missed opportunity for him because we're going to keep going back to the main theme of this draft just being the unpredictability and the lack of a clear dichotomy at the top. And, I mean, he had a chance to really run away with this thing, right? I mean, especially once Wiseman left Memphis. You know, the you have the other guys who are rumored in that one-to-five range. You know, Lamelo's overseas. Uh, Denny Avija is in Israel. Um, you know, Obi Toppin's 22 years old. Like, there are a lot of other players we're either foreign guys who inherently carry questions because we just haven't seen them that much or, or guys who have other flaws and Anthony Edwards didn't have to be a perfect player, but, you know, shooting under 30% from three, if he the foul line, just kind of a poor decision maker at times on offense, not a great distributor. Like I think if he had just played a little bit better, he, he had a chance to really separate himself as the clear number one guy.
1: Didn't I think you and I joked after the Michigan state game that he should just stop playing. Like he should have just uh, called it a season really after that game, because I think if he had done that, he would be a lock to go number one. It's just, you know, that, that was his sort of, Hey, everyone, like I'm the new favorite to go number one game. And then everyone started scrutinizing him after that because he just played like crap. And most of his, most of his games over the rest of the season. Uh, I mean, I, Like, am I being too hard on him? Like, I just, I really think he needs to improve by leaps and bounds as, like, he needs to improve his handles. He needs to improve his decision-making. He needs to improve his shooting. He needs to improve his uh, defensive intensity, his defensive acumen. Like, I I just, I don't know what he's good at as a basketball player other than using his physical gifts in transition to, to put on, highlight real plays. Um, he, he can get hot from the field, but his jumper—it's—it's it's not the the prettiest jumper ever. It's—he—he uh, you know, he takes shots where it's like, what what on earth are you thinking, like taking that shot? And yeah. it, it'd be one—it'd be one thing if he was taking like Trey Young shots, uh, but making them at like a thirty-four percent clip. But when you're that bad of a shooter. Uh, from an efficiency standpoint and you're also taking horrible shots left and right i'm just very concerned because i I think his floor is incredibly low because he you know he doesn't use his physical gifts as a defensive force he gets most Mm -hmm. of his steals basically just sort of jumping passing lanes and stuff he's not uh, he's not a shutdown defender even though he, he should be And it kind of reminds me a little bit of Andrew Wiggins in in that regard. Like there's, there's a lot of kind of really, uh, indicting videos of him defensively where like the play will be going in the other direction. And he's just, he's so slow to like kind of get in on the play. Um, I mean, you know, he, he can't like, you can't count on him to be a role player offensively and you can't count on him to be a plus defender. I, I just think the floor with him is just incredibly low, and that's that's why he wouldn't be my pick at number one. Even though I definitely acknowledge he has the highest ceiling in this draft.
3: Yeah, very rare for a player who has. I agree with you. I think by far the highest ceiling in this draft to also have maybe the lowest floor. Uh, that's typically not a great sign, um, but at the same time, like I could very I could see him being, you know, somewhere between you know, so kind of like a Donovan Mitchell type, you know, like it wouldn't shock if he came in and was and was just a better NBA player than he was playing on a bad college team in a good conference. You know, like part of it is he had really nothing around him on that Georgia team. They weren't going to make the tournament. I think they knew that early on. And that probably led to some of his bad shot um, decision making, you know, when it comes to the shots. But, you know, at the same time, I could see him being this draft's version of R.J. Barrett, where now and then you see something. But the percentages end up being really bad. Um, you know, I, I think he's somebody that if he goes into a bad situation, much like Barrett did last year, that could have some really lasting effects. You know, if, he, if he's somebody that ends up in Cleveland and all of a sudden they're asking him to play alongside Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, and they're trying to develop three of these guards at once and none of them are, are great passers or all score first, like that could just be a disaster for him and the other two. Um, but if he's somebody that goes into a better situation, um, you know, like let's say, I don't know, chicago or you know jumps up or even a team like um i'm trying to look at the, the lottery odds like new orleans you know somewhat, somewhat competent organization the spurs are going to be in the lottery um you know there there are certain organizations that i would want him to go to and would feel really good about his development but it, it for his, as talented as he is it feels like less of a sure thing than it should
1: yeah i mean it, if he ends up on one of those bad teams uh the Knicks, the Cavs. Uh, I almost think it's kind of a wrap. Like I, I just do not see him making. Do so you think, a think there's a better making. chance
3: he's Ben McElmore than Donovan Mitchell? Oh
1: yeah, 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 yeah. I mean I, I i doubt he'll ever be as good of a shooter as Ben McElmore's become. Um, but i I think he's much closer to the McElmore likelihood of events than than mitchell um i you know would would even like a team like the warriors or the spurs like would would those organizations even want to bring him in like do they want to try to sort of prove how good their culture is and how good they are at developing guys and like we can turn this guy into into a star or would they just look at his complete lack of Ah, uh, basketball instincts and feel for the game, and be like he just doesn't fit our system at all. Like he's he's just yeah. not a Spurs player. He's not a Warriors player. I mean, the Warriors traded for Andrew Wiggins, who doesn't really fit their mo at all. Yeah. But uh, yeah. do you want Wiggins and and Anthony the Edwards? I, I I think it's I likely he'd it, it like be a situation where you
3: ask is, you ask Wiggins to kind of take him under his wing and <laughs> show you know for the right. best as far as the development. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Warriors. The Spurs are a little more up in the air. I mean, they won yeah. 13 or how many more? 12 more games than Golden State. So let's say Golden State's picking number one, just for fun. Like, what? Who is the best fit for their future, their priorities, which are significantly different than any other team that's going to be picking in the high lottery?
1: I think Obi Toppin would be a pretty good pick by them. I think LaMelo Ball would be... Someone who you could kind of develop into your third guard, and he, you know, if he's ever out there, he could play with Clay and Steph, and then his shooting becomes less of an issue. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think Ball and Obi Toppin kind of stand out as guys who um, fit the, the Warriors culture a little bit. I mean, Obi Toppin, mostly because he's going to be ready to contribute as a, as a rookie and they are lacking for front court depth already. Right. So, um, yeah. I, I think those two names sort of stand out to me with the Warriors. I, I could see them taking
3: ball just for the value, depending on where the pick ends up being. But I, I still think they're, they're firmly in win now mode. you right. And they've, for the last five years, they've kind of been able to, to operate both ways, as far as you know, adding talent as they win now. You know, Kevin Durant, obviously being the most salient, and and they're going to be a team that's always able to, under normal circumstances, fill out the roster with with guys who just want to play there and and make runs at the title, like they've been able to do the previous four years. So to me, like Lamelo, as long as you have Steph Curry, that's a little bit redundant. I, I think you want somebody ideally who you can develop and can also play right away. So I'm with you. Like Obi Toppin is. A kind of perfect guy, and that would be such a fun situation for. I, I, I don't I don't know if like nationally people realize like how unbelievable, Obi Toppin was as a college player. Like there, I I think he's arguably the most fun college player that I've ever seen, and that that includes AC Law, that includes Salim Stoudemire, that includes Jason Maxiel. You know I don't I don't use the term like that lightly. He had 107 dunks in 31 games last year. He had two separate between-the-legs dunks in game last season. I mean, he was. I know you you kind of comped him to on the low end. He could be Derek Williams. Completely agree. There are some there are some big time similarities there. He's a 22 year old redshirt sophomore. He took an extra year after high school, so I mean, he's basically a senior despite having the sophomore designation. Um, but I I just think he if he was a little bit younger, I think he'd be getting a lot more pub as a potential number one guy. And I understand wanting to downgrade someone who is three or four years older than than a lot of the guys that we're talking about, but I, I can't help but think somebody's going to end up getting a steal with him if he if he really does go in the six to 10 range like, like a lot of people are projecting now.
1: I think he's going to go top five uh, because I, I just think... <clears throat> I, I think he probably has... He might have the highest floor, and I think his age leads people to question his ceiling. But, I mean, what he did from a efficiency standpoint offensively last year as a big, uh, I think, is is really impressive. The, the free throw percentage, you know, only being a 70% free throw shooter but being a 39% three-point shooter, the, those two don't necessarily add up. But even, I mean, you know, he's going to be a, a four-slash-five in the NBA. So he doesn't need to be a 39% three point shooter. He really just needs to be like a 34% three point shooter. Um, You know, defensively he's not amazing uh, moving his feet on the ball and stuff, but he's got the athleticism to help as a, as a weak side defender and stuff like that. I, I like him a lot. I think he's the, he's in that mix. Like I'm not dead set on Lamelo ball being, uh the guy i would take number 1 i think obi top it's definitely in that mix for me just because like i i don't think that that would end up being like a bust situation and i think a lot of the other guys in that range could definitely be best yeah. uh but like what what position so i th- with him it's just he looks like a classic power forward right but at 6'9 yeah. 220 um is he a modern day four to you, or is he more of a modern day five? I
3: think body wise, you you would want him to be a five, but I don't think he has the size, like you know, girth wise. Like he, I, mm-hmm. the, the comparison that I really like is Amari Stoudemire. Like I think he moves and looks like Amari Stoudemire on the court, like to an uncanny degree. It, it's kind of weird to watch, but he's twenty five pounds lighter than Amari was. However, he does have a seven four wingspan, so he's six nine seven four wingspan. Amari had a seven one wingspan so you know what what he loses i think he's one inch shorter than amari was listed and obviously he's quite a bit lighter but what he loses there he kind of makes up for in wingspan and i think ideally if, if you can run him out there in certain lineups as your stretch five with that kind of athleticism with that kind of range that that you know hopefully carries over to the nba level i think that's ideal but i, I think initially you have to run him as a four you know i think he i just don't think he's ready defensively to to be a
1: five would you he- I mean, it sorta of sounds like you're saying he would just be a perfect compliment for playing next to Draymond Green almost. Because Draymond Green has that sure. that girth girth to uh guard the more uh physical guys maybe. Uh I mean there just there aren't a ton of centers where you just need that Brooke Lopez, Joel Embiid type of right. defender. Uh and he can shoot. At least he Theoretically, he can shoot better, and Draymond Green can shoot, yeah. and he can also much better. He does not shoot like he
3: has a backpack on.
1: <laughs> that's that's one of well, my favorite comps of yours.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's unbelievable. Whoever whoever came up with that on Twitter is a hero. But he's uh, he also got a lot of baskets um, at Dayton, just on like cuts from the corner. You know, like Draymond hey. Green. Is not camping out in the corner and then cutting baseline for a dunk. You know, like that's just not part of his game where like he, he can kind of be like in the dunker spot as a four, which if, you're, if he's playing the four and you have a five out there, you don't necessarily want him hanging out on the block all the time. But he's just so versatile. Um, he has a one on one game. You know, I, I think if he goes to a team like Golden State, we wouldn't really see that all that much. Um, but I mean, he's a guy that I, I just love and I, I wish he was a little bit younger just, just so the, the stock would be a little bit higher, but maybe, maybe the silver lining is he ends up going to a slightly better team if he gets picked a little bit later.
1: Is he someone that you would worry about where he ends up or do you just think he's going to have a, a decent mm-hmm. career no matter where he goes? A
3: little bit. I, I defensively is where I worry. I, I think he's, he's just such a ridiculous, smooth athlete. On offense, works hard, rebounds. Um, I, th- I think he'll be fine in that regard. I I just worry defensively. You know, he's he's like basically. I wouldn't feel good about anybody going to Cleveland. That's kind of what it comes oh, down no. to, or even Atlanta no. at this point. Like, I, there's not one guy who I'm like, you know, where he'd be a good fit playing alongside Colin Sexton.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> poor Cavs, man. Um, man, are, are they? Is is Detroit still the worst? situation or are the Cavs up there
3: or like so did, Detroit did... is a worse Detroit's a worse situation but the thing with the Cavs is they've kind of backed themselves into this corner where they're they're almost now forced to build around two guys who aren't good right and <laughs> you can't you can't just pull the plug after one year you know i, I think in theory, that's what some teams should do. And if you know you, that a guy is not the guy that you think he is, I, I think logic dictates that you should maybe just cut bait. But you, you just really can't do that. That's just not all that plausible in how in how professional sports work. I think they they're just kind of down this this path right now where they have two two young guards, neither of whom are any good, and that's just kind of where they are right now. Like I, I think they they still they've they've picked in the top or what top four last year, and then I think they got Sexton eighth. And those, that's your starting backcourt. And I don't think either of those guys are, are on any sort of trajectory to ever make an all-star game, you know? And your other good player, you're eventually going to trade and he's in his low 30s at this point. I think they've they've gone to the lottery in back-to-back years and they haven't really come away with the type of player that you, that you want to get when you're picking in that range.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they, it really stings for them that this draft is so bad because they're going to emerge with garland sexton and whichever mediocre prospect they take in this draft as right. as their young core uh they don't there's not like some savior where if they land the number one pick it's like oh well thank thank god we've got this guy uh, right <laughs> they would probably chase upside i feel like if the Cavs had the number one pick they would probably take wiseman or edwards and just hope that they, they were seem like a wise star yeah um uh,
3: but that's what they should do. I think that's fine. In this draft, especially like even the Anthony Bennett draft, I, the Cavs don't really get blamed for taking him. Right. And I don't I don't necessarily think they should like who it's not like everybody's like was killing them for not taking Giannis, you know, like the, everybody behind behind him was so bad, I guess, with the exception of Oladipo. And on draft night, nobody nobody was saying, I can't believe they didn't take Oladipo. I think this could end up being that situation where even if three of the top five guys end up sucking, I don't think the teams should ultimately be held accountable.
1: And they're not going to be sitting there on the clock saying, "Well, our culture is so terrible that we can't bring this guy in." Yeah, like they're going to have—they're going to have confidence, even if they shouldn't have confidence right. in their culture. They're going to think that they are a fine place for yeah, someone yeah. like Anthony to Stendhal. up.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune into their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring, out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly.
3: Going back to Detroit, at, at, like they have nothing. They're, they're the bleakest situation roster-wise right now. Like in, in terms of like if you had to throw that team on the court, as is, plus a, a draft pick next season, they, they I think they would lose the most games. But at least they kind of have a clean slate, right? Like, they got out from cool. under the Drummond situation. Like you still have Blake Griffin, but, I mean, eventually I think they're just going to kind of have to wait that out, and he's kind of a zero right now. A, at least they're, they're not halfway down the river with
1: with young guys who just aren't good. Could I could I make a case that Christian Wood and Sekou Domboya are a better 1-2 uh, than any 1-2 any on the Cavs?
3: I, I think Dumboya got a little overrated uh, when he had a couple of good games early on. By the end of the year, he basically wasn't playing. But I think if you're if you're asking me to rank by value, Sexton, Garland, Wood, and Dumboya, I, I think
1: Wood is number one. Yeah, um, yeah, it's dark times. Uh, should we talk about Isaac Okoro? Absolutely. <laughs> um, how disrespectful is my comp of a worse shooting Josh Okogie on Isaac Okoro?
3: I, I don't even know what that means. Like it, it basically I mean, means Josh Okogie is like an average at best good. shooter.
1: <laughs> well, no, but if you so if you compare like Josh Akogi, uh shot threes pretty well in college, and like Isaac Okoro does not shoot threes well at all, and it doesn't look good. Like that's the thing. It it's does not, not like he's look- just shooting like 29%, but you're like, oh, it still looks pretty good, though. It gets good laugh, good spin. Like, no, like, it's it's not a good-looking shot. The numbers back it up. And he's really athletic. He's got good size. He's six six. He could guard probably 1 through 3. Uh, but can you be a wing in this league and not be able to stretch the floor? I, I just don't even think you can anymore. Like, I no. think shooting is just so important in the NBA oh. that you cannot put wings out there who can't shoot it's just it does not work
3: so Akogi shot 26% from 3 this past season like, saying that he's a worse shooting Josh Akogi is like saying someone is a less explosive Andre Miller I
1: I stand by it Josh Akogi shot like uh, 39% I think is his last year in college um, yeah I I, I I shot
3: 35% at the wreck college <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean anything I, I will say I watched I watched some Okoro tape um this morning. He's a little Jimmy Butler-ish. He's very good in the um kind of dribble drive situation. So kick out, you know, jab one way, get into the lane, hop step, finish around defenders. He's, he's strong. He's you know, for his age and for his for his build, I, I think he looks more like an NBA guard wing than that a lot of guys do at that age. Um, but like you said, I mean the shooting is a huge concern and I don't know if you mentioned it yet or not, but 67% at the line. I mean, you and I are, are always kind of watchdogs for that. Like the, the deadly combination is sub 30% from three sub 70% from the line.
1: For a guard. That is just awful. And he does. The one thing he does do, I agree with you that, that a Kogi's never going to be able to do is like, he can, he can handle the ball. He could be like a, a secondary uh, initiator of the offense, maybe. Uh, But, it's just, like, nobody's going to get, like, everyone's just going to be daring him to shoot the whole time. If if he's one of your primary ball handlers, I don't think that says very much about where your offense is going. And his defensive uh, potential and versatility is is great. But, you know, the, there isn't really room for, like, Andre Robertson's in the league anymore. There isn't room for guys like Tony Allen. So, I, I just, the fact that some people are talking about him as a top five pick. I just don't get it at all. I, I just, I think if you're a wing and you can't shoot, I just, there's no, there's no room for you.
3: Yeah. Top five is insane. And again, this, this just kind of speaks to where this draft is as a whole, in terms of the personnel, I want to talk about Denny Avija, Avia, I heard it both ways. Uh, an Israeli forward, a guy who in some mock drafts, you'll see him one or two, you'll see him as low as kind of the six or seven range, but does look like a guy who's who's profiling in the right direction and and will likely in my opinion end up as a top five pick yeah he's a guy that like when you watch the tape it's really really impressive he's he's fast in the open court he finishes with both hands he's pretty athletic as far as european wings go not one thing that really impressed me was he's not overly reliant on shooting like i went in kind of thinking okay he's a little bit of a gallinari body style um you know i kind of expected to see a lot of step back threes uh catch and shoot threes, which there's some of, but he's a guy who gets a ton of his points off of dribble drives and finishes. Um I mean kind of like Okoro, I guess, in some ways, but uh he's really, really quick on the first step and and just more athletic than than the typical uh, white European wings that we've seen over the last couple of years. So I I found myself pretty impressed with him, but it was a challenge to watch his tape because he played with Quincy Acey and Scotty Wilbakin. So I kind of kept finding myself focusing on those guys instead. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like I, I knew I recognized, I knew I recognized Wilbikin. I had to look up the roster and it was, it was just kind of a aha moment when I realized who he was.
1: So I, I think he looks good on tape as well. Um, but you know, you have to think about like, what's his role going to be in the NBA? Like, I think he is at his best, as he said, with the ball in his hands and initiating offense. And he's, he's a good passer. But, uh, but would he actually be an on-ball guy in the NBA? Like, it, it's very... Like, the bar to clear to be that type of guy is so high. Uh, I mean, it, it's not like he's just going to step in and occupy right. some sort of like, Luka Doncic role on a team. And if he's not playing on the ball, you know, he shot less than 28% from three, less than 60% from the line. Tiny, tiny sample size.
3: Yeah. But...
1: Uh, you know, if, he, if he's not really a threat to, to shoot threes and he's not on the ball, then I think you run into trouble. So if, any team that takes him, if, if, if he does go top five, I really think the plan has to be to try to at least have him run your second unit offense and let him make plays with the ball in his hands because he, he's just not going to be a guy that adds any value at all to me if he's playing off ball.
3: I think that's true. I mean, the saving grace for him, like like you said, the numbers aren't great from three, but the shot looks really, really good, and he he just he just looks like somebody who'd be a good three point shooter. You know, like and that only gets you so far. But I would imagine that's something that improves. I, I don't think he's somebody that like I think ideally he would have second unit responsibilities, but I think that's a lot to ask to just hand that over, sub to some nineteen year old kid from Israel. You know, like I I think you you'd be taking him with the understanding that he's somewhat of a project. Um, the question is like, is this going to be a Hazonia situation where he doesn't want to be a project and he wants to be an impact guy right away and, and doesn't really fall in line?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I have no idea what he's like, like what his personality is like, but, um, you know, he's someone where I would, I would hope he ends up on a team like the Spurs where they have yeah. a history of developing these types of guys and where they can take it slow. Like I definitely think he should be treated as a project. Kind of like you said, like, I mean, it's a lot to ask. Um, But I mean, if he went to, I, I don't really see a team like the Knicks or the Cavs taking him. So hopefully we won't have to worry about that, but he's another guy where if he goes to the wrong situation, he could be out of the league in a few years.
3: Who's the most likely Nick. Of these, of these guys
1: who we've discussed. Yes, yes I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're tackling this important question. Um, I think RJ Hampton has <laughs> a pick to him. I just think they'll be picking. Will they be picking too high for that to be? Uh, like, I, I well, think James Wiseman, honestly. They just take him at two, yeah. I think James
3: Yeah, yeah I, could, is I, really can, really I could see them talking. Like, they seem like a team that probably hasn't been doing a ton of advanced scouting. Like, they heard about Wiseman and maybe made up their minds on, like, November 10th that he was the guy.
1: Would there be anything more frustrating for like uh, Mitchell the Mitchell Robinson fan club than for them to take James Wiseman? <laughs> oh man! Start Taj Gibson at shooting guard. <laughs> yeah, I I could talk. I could totally see the Knicks like taking James Wiseman and then like presenting to their fans that R.J. Barrett and James Wiseman are like the the future. And just really, and like maybe trading <laughs> Mitchell Robinson to some, some other team or something. It's, uh, th- there's no safe, there's no Nick savior in this draft, that's for sure.
3: No, which so we have to delay that at least one more year. Maybe that's going to be Chris Paul this summer. Who knows? Uh, let's let's move on to Anyeka Nkogwu from USC, yes. and the, he's a guy that I he kind of re reemerged on my radar like midway through the college season. He's, he had some insane, uh, individual games throughout the year. He had an eight block game, a number of 2010 games. Like he was really, really good and just didn't get a lot of pub because once again, the pac 12 was, was like loaded with top end talent and just didn't produce. And, you know, just wasn't, wasn't relevant nationally, really outside of Oregon. Um, but he's somebody that you may recall was the guy catching all the lobs for, Chino Hills back in the day from Lonzo and um, and Lamelo Ball. Okay,
1: um, so yeah, he, he's
3: Lamelo's age, but he played. He was a sophomore, I believe, or maybe even a freshman, when Lonzo was playing. And he was, I mean, he was a pretty big time prospect, twenty uh, fifth overall in his class. Uh, but I, I think he kind of carried some of the questions that the balls did, as far as like them playing in that weird, you know, just like no defense system in high school. Um, but he, he proved to be just really, really good and an instant impact guy for USC.
1: Yeah, I think he I mean, he could be pretty close to plug and play as like a backup, a backup center in, in year one. And you could eventually maybe turn him into a starting center. I, I, I like him. I think he like, I don't think he would be a bust. I just think it's debatable. No like how high the ceiling is. I just think it's, it's very clear to me that at worst he'll be like, I don't know, the 30th best center in the league. And he'll be in the NBA for a good seven or eight years. Talk about upside. (laughs) And, and he's, he's one of those guys where you definitely have to plan around the fit. Like you have to look at who your other big men are. He's not going to be a threat to shoot threes anytime soon. It's maybe it's possible. I mean, One thing I really love about him is he shot 72% from the line, which when you just kind of look at a player like that, you know, freshman, uh, big time, rim protector, but looks kind of raw, you'd kind of expect him to be shooting in the 50s from the line, but shooting over 70% for a a center his age, I think, is, is pretty solid. So maybe eventually, like four years down the road, he can stretch at least to the corner, but you definitely need to pair him with a big who can shoot if you want to make it work.
3: I I talked to some scouts about him who said they think he could be if everything goes right, he could be the 27th best center in the NBA. <laughs>
1: hey, that's uh that's going to be a better outcome. I would I would bet that of the top 10 of top 10 picks in this draft, I would bet at least 4 of them have a worse career than being the 27th best center in the NBA.
3: Okay, I don't know how we'll track that, but I will. I'm taking that down <laughs> right now. So we'll revisit this on the in April of 2025. I let me know if this is just way out of bounds. But watching him uh, the last couple of days, watching film on a Kogbu, a, a he reminds me of a smaller Joel Embiid. Yeah, yeah. like the I mean, way he moves, like it's it's a little it's a little Whiteside-ish as well. He has a much better motor than Whiteside, but he's, he's very, very skilled. The problem is he's like five inches shorter than Embiid. I mean, he's a, he's a pretty generous six, nine.
1: Right. Right. Uh, did you, were you able to find any wingspan measurements on him? I, no, I mean, it looks, I, like, I like it looks like he's got an elite wing, wingspan. Um, and so I would, I would imagine that, uh, if teams are able to measure him, that'll, that'll work in his favor. Uh, you know, you don't have to be a seven-footer to be a uh, defensive big in the NBA. I mean, like PJ Tucker, PJ Tucker's a, a defensive-minded center, and he's like six-five. So, like, he was playing
3: can, shooting guard in college.
1: <laughs> you can he make it really worse. I remember. I remember. Uh, yeah. I I think a oh, kangaroo seems to me like a guy who on some teams boards is going to be top five and on some teams boards is going to be outside the top 10. So I think it just really yeah. depends, um, you know, wh- where, teams are picking. No mm-hmm. team's going to go into this draft and say, man, I can't wait to, to take a center. So yeah, it's, it's going to have to be a situation where they look at the other players and they're like, man, we just, we just don't like these guys. We know this guy's going to at least be solid for us. So, yeah, um, I, I think he's a perfectly fine uh, top seven top eight pick in this draft. Where do you think he would go though, in a normal draft? would he even be uh, I
3: was to? going I, I was gonna say he's maybe the biggest beneficiary, as are a lot of these guys, I guess, of of the draft class. Like I, I think there's a chance he would have stayed in school in a normal draft year, right? I mean, no higher than like he's not a lottery guy in nine out of ten drafts. He reminds me a little bit of bam. As well, where I think he snuck into the lottery. He was he was 13th or 14th to Miami, and I, I think there are some similarities there. A little bit undersized. Uh, I think Bam's a better passer, but similar motors. Um, you know, Okongwu averaged three and a half blocks a game, so he was he was getting after it defensively. And I, I was able to dig up seven one wingspan is is apparently the official measurement on him. So I, I think there's some similarities there. But like, I guess with Bam, it was just he was kind of a role player on that Kentucky team. So we he never really got to showcase like what he could actually do. Whereas with Akungu, he was kind of the man for USC for a lot of the year.
1: Uh, 3.5 blocks is actually per 40. Um, oh, is it? He was, yeah, he was 2.7 blocks in just over 30 minutes a game, but also 1.2 steals. Like I love, I love when the, the center is also over a steal a game. Just kind of tells you that they're just really active and they have a motor on that end of the court. Uh, so yeah i mean i think i think he's he's gonna have a, a good career but uh you know 1.1 assists per game probably not a guy that's gonna play with the ball in his hands uh, no. at any point the way that bam does um so you're you're talking about a complimentary piece but i've been saying for a while that this draft if you can walk away from the first round with a player who is a legit rotation player uh, sooner than later, I think that that's actually a win almost no matter where you're picking, because it's just going to be littered with landmines.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Totally fair. Uh, Let's get to Tyrese Halliburton, a guy who we both uh, have liked even dating back to last year. He kind of thought about coming out uh, in the 2019 draft. And I I think despite getting hurt fairly early in the college season, made the right call uh, because he's another guy who's now – set to benefit from, from another weaker class. And he, he's a Wisconsin native, a guy who uh, was kind of a late bloomer as, as a recruit and you know showed up at, at Iowa state last season and kind of took him a little bit to, to work into his role, but ended up emerging as a really like hyper-efficient, uh, just kind of unique, big guard who can kind of do it all. And he showed more of that this year as a sophomore before getting hurt. Um, but he, he's another guy who I, I think just despite suffering an injury, it's really not going to end up hurting him in terms of his stock when the draft rolls around.
1: Yeah. What type of, do you have any like player comps on him? Because I think he's, he's just such kind of a unique prospect. Part of it is just that his shot is so weird. Like he, yeah, it it takes him a while to get off the shot. I mean, it's kind of like the same type of form that a lot of guys on like a a high school team will use. Um, It's, it doesn't look like an NBA three-point <laughs> release, but he, no shot over 40, he shot over 41% both years. And on a decent amount of attempts, 5.6 attempts as a sophomore, shot 42%. So at, at worst, he should be a decent spot-up guy. Uh, but six and a half assists, is he kind of a second-unit primary ball handler? Or is he just a... A shooting guard like I, what what role do you see him playing do you see any kind of similar players to him in the nba
3: well i the lazy cop you always hear is like Mike, michael carter williams because of the size you know they're just there just really aren't that many big big guards like that and he to me he's kind of a true point guard i mean he's 6'5 6'6 but like you said the assists are are kind of the main selling point with him like the, the shooting numbers are good I, I don't think anyone looks at him as like I've down guy you want taking eight threes a game or anything like that. Um, but it's 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 just hard to find comps for a guy who's, who's that big and, and that unique. Like you said, um, I, I think, I think he's probably best suited. Like if he ends up being your back, like a really good backup point guard, I think that's great. I, I do wonder though, like how much this week class is going to end up coloring the trajectory for some guys, you know, like if he, if he goes six overall, your typical number six pick, you're not you're not hoping he becomes a backup. Like guys like that, you want you're thinking you're getting a future starter. So I do wonder if teams are going to kind of adjust their expectations for where guys are selected.
1: Yeah i I don't think he's a. I just don't think he's going to be good enough to be a starting point guard on a good team. I think he could end up being a starting point guard on a bad team for a while, but. Um, I just he doesn't strike me as, you know, off the dribble. I, I just I don't see that type of, um, kind of NBA caliber uh, burst and and playmaking ability. I mean, yeah, the assists are great, six and a half, but I mean, he was playing like thirty seven minutes a game. Um, yeah, I, I, he's another guy, honestly, that would fit pretty well on the Warriors because they don't necessarily need. It's not like they have the same guy bring the ball up and run pick and roll the entire game, like they'll let Draymond initiate offense. I'll let staff initiate offense. So he could fit right into that as, as almost sort of in the Andre Godala type of role and uh, maybe come off the bench initially, but you know, he's going to get a lot of open looks that would help him with that, with that release, that slow release. Uh, so he's another guy that I think would make a little bit of sense for the Warriors, especially as a, as a guy that's that's in his twenties.
3: Yeah. The release is really interesting. It's, it's almost hard to describe. Like, I, I don't think there's a single player in the NBA right now who shoots like he does. It's not it's not the same kind of concerns that you have with uh, Lonzo Ball type of situation. Like, it's not it's not all over the place. It's not Sean Marion. It's not Michael Kidd Gilchrist. It's just like it goes in and it, like mechanically, I guess there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. Like the elbow is in the follow through looks good. The rotation looks good. But he he kind of stands up straight puts his legs together and just kind of flicks it. It looks like a shot that you'd see if you're watching a game from 1982.
1: <laughs> it just, it doesn't look like he would be able to get the shot off. If he's, like, if he's operating kind of in the pick and roll, like, I just don't see him getting that shot off off the dribble against NBA defenses that that well. Like, I think it, it kind of, at least early in his career, I feel like it's going to need to be more of a spot-up weapon for him because uh, there's just, there's obviously... I mean, it goes without saying, but there's there's just not as much space uh, against NBA defenses. You, you know, quicker to react, longer wingspans to contest. I just I think he would have a lot of issues uh, shooting at a high clip off the dribble, which is which is why I think he's a little bit of a tweener. Um, but like he's a tweener that you know most most guys that are playing shooting guard aren't going to be as good at at setting up their teammates as he would be. So he's he's right. someone that can play play on the ball. If he needs to, but, um, yeah, he's to me just the ultimate role player in this draft class where, you know, you basically know for a fact, you're not getting a guy that's going to be like a top three player on a good team. That's just probably not in the cards, but he could be a guy that's in your rotation, uh, like a top six or seven guy in your rotation for a while. And that, that's going to have value at some point in this, in this lottery.
3: I think he could be a slightly better DeLon Wright if things work out.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. I like that call, actually, a lot. Um, because And like a lot of team, most teams would love to have that player. Uh, not going to be a starter for most teams, but someone that you're, you're happy to give 25 minutes to.
3: For sure. So Killian Hayes, another name you're going to see in most top 10s right now. Uh, really intriguing point guard. Uh, who, who's of course playing overseas. He turns 19 in, in late July. I think you've watched a little bit more of Hayes than I have. Uh, I've, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I've been catching up the last couple of days, not a guy who really wows you athletically, uh, but another guard who has, who has really good size and just seems to be ahead of his age in terms of his feel for the game. Uh, I was really impressed with um, just like how he how he kind of carries the ball in the lane. Like he's somebody who has a really nice Euro package already and keeps the ball high, holds it strong. A lot of tough finishes, you know, kind of through contact, over contact, around contact, uh, seem to have really nice touch around the rim. Uh, But but like a lot of these Euro guys, it's really tough to trust some of the numbers that you see, like the shooting numbers with him are great, but. You know, very limited sample size. These guys are kind of bouncing between teams, bouncing between levels, playing national team games, playing with club teams, and it's just really hard to kind of parse through the numbers and, and determine what's legit and what isn't.
1: Yeah, I, I really like him. Uh, I, I think there's a case for him to be like, I think some smart team is going to take him in the lottery, and it just depends what the draft order is. I could see him going top five if there are a couple smart teams picking in the top five, but like, I don't see Cleveland taking him. I don't see the Knicks taking him. Um, He, you know, just, just the fact that he can be a pick and roll ball handler who is going to be able to shoot uh, well from the line, well from three, like just that alone makes him pretty unique and pretty interesting in this class. Like uh, shooting, is really something that I think is going to have to be a, a differentiator when, when teams are evaluating these guys. And I think given his age, you know, you mentioned he turns 19 in late July and the fact that he shot, uh, almost 40% from three, 90% from the line in, in 10 Euro cup games. I think that's going to get him drafted, uh, kind of in the middle of the top 10. I mean, I, I think all the smart teams will probably be on him, uh, He's just he's he's a guy that has upside based on sort of the, the intrigue and the the mystery around him. Um, I, you know, I like him, I think, more than Denny Avija. And uh, I, I'm kind of interested to sort of see. I think the hype on him is just going to continue to build because teams are just going to be looking for anyone that can shoot and handle the ball in this draft. I think he's he's pretty good at both those things.
3: Yeah, I came away pretty impressed. I, I thought he was he was a little more polished even than I was expecting, uh, especially given the age. How much R.J. Hampton have you been able to watch? He was injured. I know overseas playing in, in the NBL with LaMelo uh, that the shooting numbers weren't great prior to the injury. But he's somebody that when you look at the measurables, when you consider how young he was, I mean, he's six five, like under 190 pounds, just really, really skinny, kind of looks like a high school kid playing against men and, and we've seen other guys going back to Brandon Jennings, Emmanuel Moutier, uh, you know, guys who just kind of look a little bit out of sorts and, and ultimately it doesn't affect their draft stock all that much. Um, we we've seen teams kind of lean on the potential more than the production overseas, but what are your thoughts on Hampton?
1: I think he's probably, um, you know, if we, if we ignore the bigs like Toppin and Okongu. I think he's probably the second best athlete we've talked about behind Anthony Edwards. I think he's just a really explosive leaper, uh, really good at, at throwing it down with one hand in traffic. Uh, but I think he's just got a lot to work on um, with kind of the, the finer points. Um, there are a lot of reports about him just not, uh, just kind of lacking toughness and just kind of lacking um you know, sort of a determination to kind of play his game. Like I think Lamella Ball, even though the numbers weren't great, uh, I think he was always confident and always trying to, you know, lead the offense and make things happen. Whereas I think Hampton was, was kind of more willing to sort of take a back seat a little bit. Um, he needs to add strength. But I think there's there's a ton of upside here. I think it, it's it's definitely a project where I think you're probably a couple of years away from him being able to handle a like 26 minute a game role on a good team. But mm-hmm. uh, I think he's he's a fine uh, dice roll, sort of in the, the middle of the lottery, mid to late lottery. Like if you just look at these guys and you say like nobody excites me, I know that this guy is going to end up being like a, a fourth guard. I know this guy's going to be a backup center. Hampton could just turn into nothing. He could never make anything of of his NBA career, but he also has the chance to be uh, pretty intriguing. I mean, 6'5", 190. If he can add 20 pounds of muscle in the next two years and and continue to work on his shot, I I mean, I think there's you can dream on, on the upside a little bit with him
3: right and I, I think once you get into he's somebody that's maybe a little bit lower than some of the guys we've been talking about like I think Hampton's probably closer to like the 6 to 14 range as opposed to yeah, yeah, 1 through yeah. 8 if you, if you kind of overlap okay. like that I, if, you're, if you're taking that kind of risk at with like 11th pick who cares you know I mean I think Thon Maker went 10th overall didn't he right yeah, <laughs> like yeah. That's, that's the ultimate like use that as a measuring stick like where did Thon Maker go is he better than Thon Maker yes <laughs> So you, you asked me if, are there any distinct tiers in this draft? I I think my, my first answer is no, I don't think so. I think you kind of hinted at this earlier as well, that I think a lot of teams draft boards are going to look drastically different, right? You know, I I think there's certain players that'll that'll appear in every board, but it it wouldn't shock me if you, if you like could somehow get the actual draft boards from three different franchises and they have three different guys, one through three. And you know, one, you know, somebody who's top three for one team is, 11th for another team like i I really think there's going to be a ton of variance so you know i I guess by default you maybe maybe anthony edwards uh i I would say is kind of locked into whatever you call the top tier at least in my mind and and lamella ball seems to be trending that way as well but i'm sure there are certain teams who just don't want the style that lamella ball plays or are scared away by a lot of what we talked about with anthony edwards so I, i don't think there's going to end up being much of a consensus
1: Yeah, I think if we take a broad view of this draft, there just really isn't any distinct tiers. Obviously, from team to team, there's going to be, you know, every team's going to have strong feelings about all these players, and there'll be tiers on each individual team's board. But just from a broad view of like, you know, who should be going in the top three, who should be going in the top five, I really don't think there is any consensus at all, and and that's what makes it so uh tough like if you you have to pay these guys on the like the the rookie scale contracts don't adjust to the quality of the draft so you still have to pay a guy that you take second or third overall in this draft yes second second overall money and so i think it's it's almost more appealing to have like the ninth pick or the seventh pick uh you know maybe your board just gets you know, your Q get gets kind of obliterated and you end up having to settle for someone you're not that high on. But um, yeah. it's just it's really a bad draft to uh, be picking near the top.
3: It's a bad draft to be picking in general. Like we we, yeah. we might just see a team just pass. like, all right, with the third pick, the Cavaliers will just not take anybody. You You also asked me about trading, like what kind of market will there be? For one, I don't think teams are going to be willing to part with future draft picks because we have the the double draft allegedly coming up. I don't think anybody's going to be messing around with 2021, 2022 picks. I, although I, I think if you do, if you want to trade up, maybe the price is going to be lower than what it normally would be, you know, because conceivably half of the teams picking in the top 10 might might just want out. You know, like you said, they might not want to pay that that high first round salary. They, they might think they could spend that, better on the free agency market. Um, so th- maybe the price to get into the top 10, if, if you really want to take a swing on somebody at seven or eight, you might not have to give up the, the, the going rate, you know, for the last five, six drafts, whatever it's been. Uh, that's kind of my only argument in favor of trading up. I, I just don't see, uh, I don't, I don't see too many teams like falling in love with anybody um, you know, because of what we talked about, like every player has their flaws and I, I think maybe someone like Toppin, you know, we could typically the teams that are trading up are obviously the teams that were better the year before, uh, who have later draft picks, you know, like I could see a team, you know, let's say, I don't know, Boston, Denver, some a team like that. That's maybe a couple pieces away from really contending, you know, maybe a team like that trades up to get an OB Toppin or somebody that they really feel can contribute right away. But other than that, it, it's just hard to imagine there being a huge market.
1: Yeah, well, that's, that's what I think is the most interesting scenario is that, you know, this is a draft where all 30 teams should be doing their homework on all the guys. Like, even if you're not picking top 10, you need to do a thorough evaluation of all of these guys, because if you end up falling in love with, like, if you fall in love with Killian Hayes and think he's going to be like the next CJ McCollum or something like that, and you want him and you want to go trade up and get him it shouldn't be that difficult so i think that this is a very unique draft in that you know you do your homework on all these guys if you fall in love with one guy it probably won't be that hard to move up and go get him so that that could make for some draft day that, that could make the draft really fun if we have competitive playoff teams trading up into the top 10
3: for sure so my final question, having watched so much of these guys uh, internationally over the last week or so, when will the NBA adopt the 3D court graphic technology that is apparently stranded in Europe? <laughs> you, don't, you don't know what I'm talking about? Like where the baseline graphics are just, they're painted on the floor, but they look like they're popping out. And it, it's kind yeah. of like jarring when a player lands on one and you think they're going to crash into it. And then obviously it's just flooring.
1: Um, I would expect all that stuff to make its way over at some point. Um, I mean, the NBA's got uh, bigger fish to fry at the moment. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, that, that that's a very fascinating technology. And, I mean, they've already put logos on the jerseys, so, I mean, I'm sure that they'll, they'll have yeah. that.
3: All right, so we'll we'll get into some more prospects later on. I mean, the way that things are trending right now, we'll, we're, we're way early on this you know i mean the draft might not take place for another four to five months at this point so we'll have plenty of time to dive in but we'll we'll get into some of the the guys who are projected in that that 10 to 20 range next time we talk uh what do you have on tap for the weekend here james as we continue to remain on lockdown
1: um i i have absolutely nothing going on (laughs) Uh, i saw
3: your wife's been doing a lot of high-end cooking
1: oh yeah yeah um Yeah, fortunately my wife is a very good cook uh it's a very key skill to have in these these difficult times but uh yeah i i I finished watching you know you mentioned we've been doing these these watching classic games and doing pods you me and alex uh the one we're going to be doing this upcoming uh monday or tuesday is really really exciting i I was thoroughly entertained. Like I could, I could rewatch that entire game and and still be thoroughly entertained. It was really, really good stuff. So, uh, keep an eye out for that one next week. So that's going to be 2004
3: Timberwolves Kings game seven, second round of the Western conference playoffs. You've already watched the game as, as you just alluded to. I have not, I don't think Alex has either. Are there any like little teasers that you can give me or things that I should be Uh, looking out for?
1: I, I took a lot of notes. Um, you know, this was... <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll read you a couple of my notes. Um, was Peja hungover? Question mark. That's one of my notes.
3: Um I... hungover from cigarettes?
1: <laughs> um, at one point in the game, Kevin Harlan says, Mark Madsen again gives them quality minutes off the bench. And Mark Madsen made uh, three or four of the worst plays I've, I've seen in an NBA game. So... Uh, didn't necessarily jive with what i was watching um it's it's a it's a game that really makes you appreciate how amazing kevin garnett was in his prime i mean just an absolute yeah. all-time great player his teammates played horribly uh but you know he was still that was his mvp year and he was peak of his powers and it was really really entertaining to watch
3: all right i'm very much looking forward to that well Uh, We can leave off here. I'm in a bidding war right now for a Chris Douglas Roberts Memphis jersey, uh, so i got to get back to the computer. But uh, thanks for taking the time to do this.
2: Yep.